I love to look up at the young people, at the smile upon their faces. In fact, I was able to sit in that corner and swivel around a little bit and see the smile upon the congregation as they sang that second piece. You see the encore, what it brings you up again there for that second piece. Great to be here amongst you this evening again. It's the first time I've been in the tent here in Oxford, uh, but it's good to be renewing fellowship with many of you here uh, with the work here. We pray that the Lord might bless us tonight. We thank thee, the Lord, for his speaking voice already in the meeting. But let us pray that the Lord may bless us even as we turn to his word. Let us turn, please, to the book of Acts. Oh, what an exciting book the book of Acts really is. Acts chapter 8, please. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts. Acts chapter 8. We want to read some of these words that we have recorded for our learning here in this portion of Holy Scripture. Acts chapter 8. I plan to read from the opening verse of Acts chapter 8, but perhaps for context we'll come back a few verses before that 8th chapter. Very sad words, very solemn words. Words, of course, a statement of fact of how they, these cruel and wicked men, they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. Of course, that was his actions. He was calling upon God. Imagine the scene that's painted for us there in verse 59. They stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And I want you to notice in particular the last three words of verse 1. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Except the apostles. Such was the persecution at that time that the apostles literally had to keep their heads below the parapet. That's the setting that's given to us here. That's the context of these words. We read on in verse 2. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and healing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, look at verse 4. Now we... Highlight it and drew your attention to the last two words of verse 1. Three words. Now look at what we read here in verse 4. Now remember it was everyone except the apostles. Verse 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad. That's everyone except the apostles. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. 
you notice what the Holy Spirit of God is teaching us in these verses? The spotlight falls upon one of those men. Verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Look at the success that preaching was met with. Verse 6, the people with one accord give heed unto those things which Philip spake. This afternoon we were thinking upon the subject of revival, awakening, God moving in a region and an area and a people. In fact, that's what we read of here in verse 6. People with one accord give heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracle which he did. In fact, look at what it tells us in verse 8. There was great joy in that city. Now I want us to skip down to the final words, starting at verse 26. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 8, please where we read of how the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise. Now, where was he taking them from? The revival that we're thinking of here in Samaria. But now in verse 26, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near. In fact, I want you to look at the very first word that the Spirit said unto Philip. Go. Isn't it so easy to miss the monosyllabic words? There's a big word about a small word. There's an oxymoron. One syllable in it. We can skip past words like that so easily. Go. I believe tonight the Lord is speaking to someone. We're reading here about how the Lord spoke to this individual. Go, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Look at verse 30. What did Philip do? Did he drag his heels? Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Many of you know this portion. Look at how he engages him. Look at the wisdom that's employed here. Verse 31. And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before a shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now this man was reading words that directly related to Christ, and he knew it not. Verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. 
Christ was at the very center of his comments that day. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart this condition of baptism, thou mayest. And he answered and said, Here's his confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down, both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. It was no longer about Philip. That the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, passing through he preached in all the cities. In fact, I have it written here in my margin beside that 40th verse that Philip was back doing what he did best. Philip was found at Azotus and passed through. Passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Amen. We do pray that the Lord himself might bless us the reading of his own inspired word to our hearts just now. But I would ask you please to still your hearts in God's presence. Every other sideways thought, cast them to the side for a moment or two. But let us still our hearts please. You pray for this preacher. I've been up from five o'clock this morning. But we know that already We've been blessed here in God's presence. But you pray very simply, Lord, speak to me. Let us pray. Father, we do thank thee for this thy word. Lord, I pray in these remaining moments of the meeting tonight that thou would be pleased to take thy word and apply it, Lord. Take thy word and change lives, dear Father, with it. We thank thee, Lord, for the power of thy most precious word. And Lord, I pray that thou would let the Bible speak this evening. Do bless and do help, do dovetail in what has been said already with what will be said. Lord, I pray that thou would move in my mouth, my lips, my tongue, to what thou would have us to say. Help me to refrain from that, Lord, that I've maybe perhaps planned to say, but it's not of thee. Take it away. Let it fall to the ground. Let it not even escape my lips tonight. But Lord, I pray what is said, what is done, what has been said, what has been done tonight might be blessed and indeed owned by thee. That, Lord, there might be a change in each of us as a result of contact with this thy word. So, Lord, to that end, we do pray for blessing. In thy precious and in thy holy name we ask. Amen. Amen. You know, Acts chapter 8 is certainly a very, very fast-moving and exciting chapter in the first century church. In fact, I thought about it as I read and reread these verses over and over again in the quiet place. I thought about how even within the remit of these 40 verses, what is it? 40 verses in this chapter. We have so many different themes covered. 
so many different events recorded, so many different character studies given, so many even different geographical areas mentioned, as well as different people groups who were reached with the power of God's work. In fact, in this chapter, we see how the Lord works within the masses. That's why I read those first verses from chapter 8. The great numbers. In fact, verse 8, the way the words are framed, that there was great joy in the city, leads us to think and to believe that it was not merely a little section or a little sector, just some of the people within the city, but by how the Lord had swept in and through that city. The masses were touched. The many were changed, not only for time, but the many were changed for eternity. But not only that, not only did God work with the masses, with the great numbers, with the many, but in this passage of Scripture, we see how the Lord goes after the individual. The very commencement of this chapter, we read of the havoc that was wreaked, of the problems that come in in the early church. Devout and zealous men were doing the devil's work, caused by men such as Saul. No, other, no doubt there were others involved in that as well. He was mentioned particularly by name because he was just about to be a token of grace and mercy. We don't want to talk tonight about that. We don't want to go down a rabbit trail and speak about him. That's a series, never mind a message in itself. But what we do read about here is the persecution of the church of Jesus Christ. We read about how that early church suffered, about how they endured much at that time as Stephen, that's why we read the last couple of verses of the previous chapter, chapter 7, of how Stephen, the first Christian martyr of how he was taken by cruel and wicked men and how he was martyred in the way that we just see described here within these verses. We see of the great turmoil of how the church was turned upside down, if you like. However, even in this, even in all that was happening, don't we read here about the great blessings that spread across the church of Jesus Christ, even in those early days. In fact, we read of that. Look at that first verse again. Saul consenting unto his death, Stephen's death. At that time, there was great persecution against the church, which is Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. We'll have to admit this evening we would have to admit in a meeting like this that it is somewhat of an uncomfortable truth at times that even the seemingly, and I use that word carefully, even the seemingly negative things that happen to us at times are always by the Lord. You know what Paul records as he writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8 verse 28. Seemingly negative things that happen to us are always meant for the greater good, for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed, for the purity of the church on many occasions. 
Maybe you know those words well, Romans 8 and 28. They're the sort of words you would pin upon your fridge. Words that we take daily encouragement from. Especially when we're going through the mill. Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good. I love the little words. I told you that already. That word all. All things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. And what was that? What was the silver lining that we read here about that persecution that came in? Well, as a direct result of the persecution that the church suffered and endured at that time, the church of Jesus Christ saw rapid growth. The church grew. We have to continually remind ourselves at times, dear folk, that the Lord never makes a mistake. He knows what he is doing. Never once has the Lord abdicated his throne. At times we need to be reminded of that truth. The church grew because the scattering of those true saints, those true men and women of God, those who were sent everywhere and anywhere, really initially to escape the attacks of the church or the attacks on the church. But really, what did they do? They took their faith with them and wherever they went, they were careful to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every single individual that they would meet. Even so encouraged to hear the testimony tonight of our brother and the plans that our brother and sister have. Even at great personal risk did they share the word of Jesus Christ with others. I wonder what about you in the meeting this evening? I wonder has the Lord been, is the Lord even tonight, dealing with you in this meeting. Maybe you're watching the meetings online. Maybe the Lord has been speaking to you of late and you keep shirking it off. I have to be honest with you. Even before I went into Bible college in 2011, the Lord had been calling me, calling me, calling me. And for not only one or two or three, but for four long years, I'd been saying no to God. Maybe tonight in the tent or watching the service in the tent, you are saying no, shaking your fist at God as he commands you to, as we stop there, halfway down through verse 29, as he commands you to go. We read in the opening words of this chapter how certain individuals were used mightily by the Lord. For that spreading, that expansion of the church, the gospel messages that went forth, really to all that were, and we highlighted it in the reading, we stopped there, we dwelt there, we underlined those words in our reading, all except the apostles, everybody was scattered abroad, all that is except those who were really the top men in the church. The men that we might have expected to be those who were forefront and spearheading the work, it was everyone but those individuals. And then in verse 5, we're introduced to a man called Philip. Philip, as he went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them, in actual fact, when we consider this man and, and hone in on him for a minute, this is not the first time we come across this man on the sacred page. 
In fact, who was Philip? He was one of the deacons who were elected, one of those seven men who were elected to serve the church in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verse 5, in fact. We could be forgiven, and he was not one of those men. He was not one of the apostles by the same name, not that man also named Philip. He was a different man entirely. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, in the, in the meeting tonight, I thought about that. You see, I fear the spirit of the age of the church of Jesus Christ today, the spirit of the age in which we're living today is simply to lie back and to let others do the work. It's simply to lie back and let the leaders of the work to carry the work forward. I remember Dr. Piazzi saying on many occasions, he was a man who founded the Free Presbyterian Church. It was born from the apostasy of Irish Presbyterianism way back on the 17th of March, 1951. I remember him saying on many an occasion that others will tell you that I'm behind you, Dr. Paisley. And at the first sign of trouble, he would turn around and discover that they're so far behind him he can't even see them. Is that the way we act and behave even in this day and generation? Are we those that lie back and let others do the pushing forward? Do we let others do the work? Let the senior men carry the burden? Let them go forward? Let maybe even the missionary societies carry the work of Jesus Christ forward? That's for them. We'll just work away quietly in our own way corner. I believe this passage of Scripture is teaching the exact opposite. In fact, that notion, that mindset, I believe, let me tell you, folks, is what I believe a lie from the very pit of hell itself. It is indeed, as Scripture teaches over and over again, the rule of every one of us who are bought with a price to reach the lost for the Lord Jesus Christ wherever they may be found. I firmly believe that. I firmly believe the Lord gives every one of us opportunities day and daily. You know, you will come and people in contact with individuals, with people, that your pastor, that your deacons, that your elders, that me or others like me will never meet, maybe never be within 10 miles of. You will have opportunities that no one else will have. You'll come close to them. You'll rub shoulders with them. And very often, those individuals will judge our Savior, judge your Savior, my Savior, through your words, your actions. What will you do with those opportunities that you have? I believe in this man, Philip, we see much by way of positive example, a positive role model that every one of us can follow. In this passage, if it teaches anything, it tells us that it wasn't all about the apostles. wasn't all about those heading and leading figures. But the whole church of Jesus Christ bore the burden together. As we come back to this passage, I think it is abundantly clear that Philip was used mightily by the Lord as he preached the gospel in that particular place in Samaria. In fact, it would be fair to say that he, this 
deacon that was elected, not the apostle, this mere man, an ordinary individual, was God's human instrument. We spoke about this earlier in the car. One of the things I love about coming over here, you get to share quality moments, in fact, hours in cars speaking to people that you've never met before. I see you're nodding there, brother, as I am too. And we covered the same subject of how the Lord is pleased to use the human instrument. Perhaps you tonight in this meeting, perhaps you in this missionary rally will be in the desert lie ahead God's human instrument to reach a people group that's never been met. To reach an individual across the street who's never been reached with the gospel. This man was used mightily in bringing revival, God's instrument to bring revival to that area, to that particular group of people. Oh, I love what it tells us there in verse 6 of how the people with one accord, you see the way the words are framed here, the people with one accord, that's speaking of a mini revival in that area. With one accord, give heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. In fact, the word that's translated there in the original as people is a very, very strong word. It simply means a great throng. It's a very strong word, a very strong phrase. Philip really was in the midst of revival. But you know, ladies and gentlemen in the tent and watching along online tonight, this is not even the main and the central thrust of our message this evening. Yes, there was great joy within that city. There was a great and a general movement within that place. But even despite all the blessings that we've dwelt upon just now, the blessings within that area, the Lord in His infinite mercy and wisdom and truth. We've heard tonight from your pastor how the Lord is. One of His features, one of His attributes is omniscience, that He knows all things. And in his omniscience, he pulled and drew this man away from all of that, away from that blessing to another place where something truly remarkable would occur. I want us to think for a few moments about Philip and the eunuch. I want us to think tonight, and I was moved as I sat over there when I listened to the report of how I believe the Lord will work in the days that lie ahead in that part of North Africa. I love to see that zeal that you have there, brother. Love to see that. That's what I love to see. And as I thought about, as you spoke, and as I thought about what the Lord has laid upon my heart for the meeting this evening, I thought about, again, with intense thought about this place, this particular place to which Philip was sent. You see, the Word of God tells us very, very clearly here in these verses, look at verse 26 and so on, about how Philip was sent to a particular, how he was sent to a specific place, not just told to go anywhere at a whim. Our brother knows something about that, of how he was taken and led in his mind, in his thoughts, in his very uh, feet, taken to that place for a two-week visit already to a particular place. Look at verse 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, look at the specific nature, the particular detail that's given. Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. 
Now just stop and think about that for a moment. He was being called by the Lord from a period and a place of great blessing to a place of nothing. There's no accident tonight that we have shared this platform, brother. You're called to a desert. Sahara was mentioned on different occasions tonight already. The world's most famous desert. And where was Philip called to? The very last word of verse 26 makes it abundantly clear that he was called to that desert. There's no accident that we're in the meeting this evening. There's no accidents tonight. Let me ask you just now, has the Lord been challenging you? I'm telling you this, the shivers are going up my spine, not because of the heating situation or not because of the ambience or not because of the weather or not. The shivers are going up my spine. I told the students this afternoon that we very often read this biography and that biography and this account of history and that account of history. And we often say to ourselves, I would love to have lived in that time. I would love to have lived in that century. I'd love to have lived in that era. Let me tell you, 2022, 23, 24, 25, these are the exciting days. What is the Lord going to do in our midst? How is the Lord going to use you? Where is the Lord calling you to? Where is the Lord challenging you about this evening? I believe the Lord's speaking not to one, but to many in this meeting, to many in this gathering. Is the Lord speaking to you about a particular mission field, about a particular place that he would have you go? You know, it's so easy to play spiritual basketball with a word, and I say that reverently. It's so easy to sit in a pew or in a seat like what you're in tonight and, and take the word and say, yes, that's a great word. That's a word that I can understand and a word that certainly applies to someone, but not me. You know, it reminds me about the preacher in the wee country church many, many years ago. And every single Sabbath day when he preached the word, there was one particular man in his congregation and he never missed. And no matter what that man could say from the pulpit and no matter how pointed and how strongly he worded the message, he never seemed to get through to this man. He always seemed to be able to put it off to someone else. Well, there was one particular day where heavy snow fell. Now, the minister lived in the manse right next door to the church. He made it to the church that day, but nobody else did. And he was about to shut up the door and go home, turn off the lights. And, of course, who walked in? One man. This one man. And he went to his normal seat that he sat in every other Sabbath. And he sat down, and he got ready to receive the word. And this man, the, the minister said, that's great. I'm going to get him now. I'm going to get him now. I'm not going to miss him now. He's not going to be able to, to shirk it off this time. He's not going to be able to say, that's for somebody else. And that minister got up to be fair to him, give him his dues. He preached the message as pointedly as he ever would, should the place be packed. And he couldn't wait this time till he got to the door till that man went out past him to hear the comment this time. And he did comment. Oh, he did. 
He walked past him that Sabbath morning and he shook his arm and he said, that was a great word, Pastor. That's a pity they weren't here to hear it. You know, we can be like that every single time we hear the word. We can take the word that's preached and we can push it on to someone else. May the Lord forgive us for dealing with his word in that flippant manner. And I mean what I say. And as I point the finger at the congregation today, and I don't like pointing the finger. I said this before. There's three fingers pointing back at myself because how many times do I do that myself? Maybe the Lord's calling. Maybe the Lord's challenging. Maybe the Lord has been speaking to you for some time now, a particular role, a particular task, about a particular, as we've heard tonight already, place where he would have you go. He was commanded by the Lord to leave that blessing, to leave that, well, let's say it as it is, that awakening, that revival behind. And simply, here's the key word, go to that place that was nothing but a bleak, Empty, desolate, nothing. It was a desert. But he did it. He was obedient to that heavenly calling. What about you tonight? What about me tonight? Are we obedient to that heavenly calling? He didn't know why. He didn't know what he was going to. He didn't know what purpose. He was just told to go. Look at the way the words are framed. Look at the order. Look at verse 26 and how it leads into verse 27. Verse 26 gives all the detail. The angel of the Lord came and he gave that message, give that detail unto Gaza, which is desert, full stop, straight into a new sentence, verse 27. And he arose and went. We don't read of delay. We don't read of argument. We don't read of reasoning put up. We don't read of anything at all other than Full stop, straight in, new sentence, and he arose and went. Oh, I often think about the number of times we read in Scripture. I'll tell you, I was driving down the road one time, and the Lord just impressed this upon me so much that I just burst into a flood of tears. It was dangerous. I could hardly see the road. I was doing about 70 down the motorway. You can imagine what that's like. I was going to a meeting. And it just struck me how the Lord so many times in the Gospels, for example, commanded the wind and the waves to do something or to stand still or commanded nature and immediately it would obey. In fact, we read about how the Lord commanded the demons, legion, for example, and they immediately obeyed. But how the Lord speaks to and commands us and we kick and we scream and we seem to know better. But look at the example that's set before us here with Philip. He got up and he went without a murmur, without a question. We don't read of any of those things. Rather, we read about how he got up immediately and he went down to that place that he was sent to go. What about you this evening? You know, we live in a day and generation. We live in a time, we live in an era when we're actively encouraged to do your own thing. When we're actively encouraged to effectively question what the Lord would have us do. Philip was to leave that revival behind without a murmur, without a word, without a question. And he was to go where the Lord would have him go. And he did that very thing, but look at who he was sent to. 
Look at the person to whom Philip was sent. Do you know what has overwhelmed me more over this past number of weeks and months, probably than any other thought that we get from the Scriptures of truth? As I read, as I study God's Word, in the secret place, four messages, listening to others preaching, as I, every time I turn to the Word of God, for whatever reason, over and over again, over this past number of weeks, I'm overwhelmed by how the Lord goes after the individual. Think, for example, of John chapter 4, about how the Lord must needs go through Samaria. Why? That he might speak to that woman at the well. Was there anything special about her? She's a woman that her peers even rejected. We couldn't call her a lady by any stretch or any imagination whatsoever. And yet the Lord must needs. Now that's a separate sermon. I don't want to go down that line. I would love to. But how the Lord went after this individual. Do you realize this evening in the meeting that you are special to the Lord? Do you realize this evening that the Lord has a perfect plan and will for your life? And yet all the while, we kick and we scream against what his will might be for us. Let me ask you, let me challenge you again. I've challenged you already in this front. Has the Lord, is the Lord speaking to you this week already? Look at what we're told about this end of it. I love the way the Spirit of God is able in the canon of Scripture. I love the way the Spirit is able to give us so much information with very, very few words. In fact, verse 27 gives us a wealth of information about this man. We could preach a, a series of messages on it. Look at what it tells you. He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. You know the words that's there for, for us here. We can glean so much about this man, about who he was, about what he was. He was, you know, sometimes we can get prejudiced in our hearts. May the Lord forgive us for this. He was a man, a foreigner, a man from a foreign principality was a man of Ethiopia. Sometimes we'll go to our own source. We heard it tonight already. Don't send me to them, Lord. And yet the Lord knows best, isn't that right? Someone once said, I don't know who it was, wouldn't it be good if young men were wise and old men were strong? But God knows better. Do we trust in the Lord as we say we do? Do we hang on His every word as we say we do? Are we willing to go? We'll sing the words in that first hymn, lovely words. Here am I, send me. Oh, it's so easy. I'll tell you what, I heard it said before. Christians shouldn't tell lies. Christians don't tell lies. But we can sing lies, can't we? Well, we do that so often. Oh, we can tell so much about this man. He was a man of power under, he was a eunuch of great authority under Candice, queen of the Ethiopians. You know, in ancient times, the, the eunuchs had much power, much influence, much sway, much power in the realm. A man of great position, a man of great prominence, a man of, of, great, prominent, of great possession. He was a, a man who had the scriptures of truth in his, now that's nothing nowadays. I've got a whole shelf full of small Bibles, big Bibles, and 
and many have got different copies of the word. 2,000 years ago, it was a very different matter. This man had scrolls and rolls of the Old Testament scriptures. This was really a man who had great possession. In fact, we read of it there in the, in the verse that describes it to us. It describes him to us. A man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candice, Queen of the Ethiopian, who had charge of all her treasure. Oh, this was a privileged man. But look at why he was in Jerusalem, why he was even there. He was a pious man. The Word of God tells us the very reason he was there. In fact, the very last three words of verse 27 tells us, it makes it very clear. He, come, he had come to Jerusalem for to worship. There's so many that we will meet, so many that we will come across who have that void within them. There's so many have questions. Has the Lord placed you somewhere? Maybe in your workplace? Maybe in the street in which you live? In a position where you're able to answer those questions that come thick and fast at times? Did you hear the statistic this evening about how those individuals in that area are more likely to get struck by lightning than to hear a clear presentation of the Word of God? Is there a role? Is there a place? Is there a people where the Lord would send you to this evening? I believe the Lord is speaking to individuals in this gathering tonight. I believe the Lord has spoken to individuals in this gathering tonight. But you know you have a decision to make. Will you walk out through that flap, go out into the darkness and say no to God? Will you refuse His command? Did Philip do that? Did Philip miss out in this particular blessing and trying to hold on to the former blessing. Sometimes we're too so keen to hold on to the former that we miss the next. Does that describe us this evening? Look at something else here with me and I want to just mention this in closing. Our time is gone. But look at the preaching by which this eunuch was converted. You see, Philip was directed to go by the Lord. He was sent for the particular design and purpose of reaching this particular individual. And when he went there, Philip, look at, I love the words of verse 35. How Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He was able to bring from, in fact, anywhere you open your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Christ is to be found. This man was ignorantly, and I use that in the correct sense of the, the, the word, the term, ignorantly reading those portions in the Old Testament here in Isaiah chapter 53 is where he was reading. And he didn't really know. He was blindly reading what he was reading. And yet this man was on hand, able to unfold, able to open up the scriptures of truth to him. We believe this evening in the sufficiency of God's word, the sufficiency of scripture. Last night I was preaching at a meeting, a deputation meeting, to use that term again, in one of our Belfast churches to do with the work and the ministry of Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of our denomination, speaking and telling them about the new things that are going ahead. In fact, we brought out this point. We spoke on that verse from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. 
I love that verse. Of how it tells us how about the Word of God, speaking of itself, for the Word of God is quick and powerful. It means alive. Do you realize what you have in your mother tongue, this book that we love and hold and, and open and preach and comment from, is the Word of God that is alive and able to make alive the dead soul. God's Word is sufficient. We don't need to supply gimmicks and this and that and the other to jazz it up. Is that what we find here? Was there any gimmicks employed in the proselyting of this individual? No. It was simple unfolding of gospel truth, of revealing Christ in the Old Testament portion that this man was reading in. You know, you might say this evening, Yes, preacher, there is a place to what I believe the Lord is calling me, maybe even a people group, an individual, individuals. But I'm the wrong man. I can't do it. I'm not academic enough. I'm not the sort of a boy. I'm not a preacher. I'm not somebody who can do it. I'm not the man for this. I'm not the woman for this. I'm not the young person for this. We've heard tonight different occasions, at least two, of how young people have been spoken to and had the finger of God put upon early lives. What about you tonight in the meeting? But you know, God's word is able. God's word is sufficient. God's word is sufficient. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I was able to tell the people last night up in our church in Newton Abbey, about this verse. And then you know I got a text message today. Just a random text message out of the blue. Wasn't expecting it. To say we have two charity shops that are actually under the auspice of Let the Bible Speak. And they're doing a great outreach work in the cities that they're in. And I got a text today from the manager of one of those shops to say that a 75-year-old Roman Catholic was converted today in the shop in Armagh. Is God able to save the soul? Is he? God is able. God is able not only to work within the masses, going back full circle to where we started, within the masses that we read off in the early verses of this chapter, but within we see at the end of this, this man had the desire to go through the waters of baptism, evidence that there was a work done and wrought within his life, within his soul. Let me say it again. I've said it before. The Lord makes no mistakes. Is he speaking to you tonight? Is he challenging your soul, your heart tonight? You know, there's so, so much more that I had intended to say this evening, but I've said enough. But in a moment or two, when the voice of this man is silent and the Lord speaks on, well, you shirk it off and say, no, that's for someone else to do. That's for the leadership of the church to do. That's for the missionary society to do. Or will you say, as our first hymn stated, Here am I. Send me. I pray that that might be the case, that that might be so, even this evening hour. Thank you, brother.